Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Well, welcome. My name is Amanda Smith. I'm actually one of the online campus pastors here at the Life Christian Church, and I am really, really thankful that you guys are allowing me to be on the stage and share with you. Um, and to be honest, you know, I knew that I was following some really tough acts because we had some cr- incredible speakers with Christian preaching in this series, Heaven on Earth. So thank you so much, Christian. And we had Pastor Ryan and Alex Soto and Sharon Smith on Mother's Day. Woo! Power to the women. <laughs> and, I, and I knew that it was going to be a really tough act to follow with Sharon's gorgeous pink suit. So I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be uh, <laughs> measuring up to that. But Um, Also, I tried to make sure that uh, if anyone that I knew was coming to either service, I was like, okay, guys, please sit close to the front so I can see the thumbs up like, you guys are doing great. You're doing great. Yes, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But I call that my amen corner, and I'm going to extend it to the rest of the room. So if you agree with something that I say, you can say amen. But um, I'm going to test that out. So if you guys are comfortable, feel free to participate. If not, you don't have to say anything. But we're all going to say amen on three. Is that all right with you? Okay, ready? Amen on three. One, two, three. Amen. Whew, okay, I feel good now. <laughs> Y'all are with me. <laughs> so, um, so as you may know, we are in a series called Heaven on Earth, a Cosmic Renewal, where we're talking about things like experiencing glimpses of heaven in the context of our broken world and how we don't have to wait until after we die to experience the beauty of God's kingdom and realm. We don't have to wait until Jesus comes back. We can experience that in our life today. And if you're, um, you know, if you're the first time you're just hearing about this, um, it's been an cr- incredible series. If you've missed any of the messages, I encourage you to go back, rewatch them. We have a, a YouTube channel where you can watch all of our messages and services on demand. So I totally encourage you to take advantage of that. But today, as we, as we think about this series of experiencing heaven on earth, I want to talk about the times when we experience heaven not being on earth. And I'm calling these spaces where we kind of feel like, you know, to be frank, that it feels kind of like hell on earth or we feel like there's just this absence of heaven in certain situations. I'm calling those spaces in between spaces. So anytime I reference the, the phrase in between spaces, that's what I'm referencing when things don't feel like they're aligned with the kingdom of heaven. So I want to acknowledge those spaces today and talk about how we are to respond to God in worship in the in-between spaces. And I'd also like to personally share how um, I've had some significant moments of brokenness in my own life and how worship specifically has allowed me to experience God's incredible grace. And I truly hope that my story and my experience and God's word just uplifts you and encourages you today. But before I begin, I kind of want to dive into the definition of worship because oftentimes uh, it could be used with the context of music, which is part of what worship is, but um, there's so much more to it. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of, uh, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And uh, just so that you know, if I am referencing any scripture, uh, we have life notes on the seatback pockets. If you guys want to follow along, there's going to be some notes available for you. And the scriptures will be listed on there and also put on the screen so you can follow along. 
So um, there's, uh, as I was researching more around worship and other definitions, uh, I found these quotes by N.T. Wright, who is a leading British New Testament scholar and theologian, and he really helped to paint a broader picture. So he says, worship, we cannot worship the suffering God today and ignore him tomorrow. If we say or sing as we often do, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, we thereby commit ourselves in love to the work of making his love known to the world that stands, still stands so sorely in need of it. This is not the God the world wants. This is the God the world needs. Another definition he uses is worship is humble and glad. Worship forgets itself in remembering God. Worship celebrates the truth as God's truth, not its own. Another definition, true worship is open to God, adoring God, waiting for God, trusting God, even in the dark. So I, when I read through that, I, I read the scripture, it kind of wanted to condense it into a few points so that we could all um, understand kind of the worship that I'm going to be talking about and referencing during this uh, message. So the first point is that worship is committing ourselves in love to the work of making God's love known to the world. And so that could look different for you in your context. You know, that could be loving your neighbor. That could be going into your workspace and, and just being the love of Christ to someone. That could be um, praying for someone who's hurt you. So there's just different ways that uh, you can Take, commit yourselves in love to the work of God and making his love known to the world. Another way is by serving in your local church through a volunteer team or through missions. Um, another uh, point around worship is that worship is humble and glad. It forgets itself in remembering God. And I love this because um, I always grew up with stage fright, believe it or not. And I'm, I just feel like it was God's funny way of just saying, hey, I have something for you to do, and it's going to be involved <laughs> singing on stage. Um, but in the church that I grew up with in, in South Florida, um, my pastor used to always say that his greatest fear was public speaking, and he was, he's such a gifted speaker, and he's like, sometimes, um, you know, our enemy will put a, a fear or timidity on one of our greatest gifts. And, um, and something about this, this uh definition here where it says that worship forgets itself, that brought me so much comfort in thinking, oh, I, you know what? I could step onto a stage, especially when it comes to leading worship, because I can forget myself. And the focus isn't me. The focus is on God. Um, and so I really do think that that's um, a really good picture of worship in terms of posturing our hearts. And then third, worship celebrates the truth as God's truth and not its own. Um, and I think this is super relatable in our day and age because how many of you have heard the phrase, live your truth? Live your truth. You do you. You know, it's like this um, idea that truth is subjective or relative to the, the person deciding what it is, right? Um, but that's not what this says. It says that we are recognizing God's truth as what is true, and then we celebrate that, and then we live our lives according to God's truth. Um, and then fourthly, worship is open to God, adoring God, waiting for God, trusting God, even in the dark. This is faith in action, and each, each aspect of these things require that we trust that God is who he says he is. So when I think about that kind of worship, um, this, this, it's almost just kind of like painting a picture of how you're living your life. I think about this woman who was kind of a, an inspiration to me growing up, and her name is Elizabeth Elliot. 
She was a missionary, a critically acclaimed author and speaker. And I came to admire her for her leadership and her faith. And she was well known for her book, Through the Gates of Splendor, where she gives an account of her husband's and hers experience as missionaries in the Ecuadorian Amazon. I think it's cool because she attended Wheaton College, which is where Christian went. And she studied Greek because she wanted to translate the Bible uh, for remote peoples of the world. So while at Wheaton, she met her husband, and his name was Jim Elliott, and both of them went to Ecuador after graduation and learned the Quechua tribal language. So that was part of their dream for their lives, was to, you know, just completely um, learn the culture, learn the language, meet them where they're at, and then translate scripture so that they can share the good news of Jesus with them. Um, so they learned this uh, tribal language, and then she and her husband, um, uh, Jim, since they both felt this call to mission work amongst the unreached um, to translate scripture into their language, their dream was actually to um, kind of minister to this one particular tribe who had previously had no outside contact with anyone, um, and they were known for their inter- and intra-tribal violence. Um, They would kill any outsider caught in their region, and then they would also kill one another. Um, And they were called the Aurani tribe or the Aucas, so I'll kind of interchange those two. Um, And basically, they were a people that no outsider had encountered and survived. And these were the, this was the people group that they, were, they felt particularly called to, minister to. So not only them, but a group of missionaries. So it had been several years where Jim and Elizabeth had worked with a team of missionaries to build trust with this tribe by flying over and sending goods and messages of peace in the Alka language. It was a joyous time for them. They were living out you know, their area of destiny. They were living out God's call for their life. And their families... Uh, were with them too. And they saw the fruit of their labor as more and more trust had been built with this tribe because on one of the um, flights where they would fly over gifts and messages, uh, they would like lower a basket because you know they, they couldn't actually meet them face to face. It was too dangerous. The Aorani tribe put a gift back for um, Elizabeth and, and the crew. So they felt like, okay, trust is being built here. So Um, they decided at this point in time, it was time to meet the tribe face-to-face. And so one of the missionaries, his name was Nate Saint, he was their pilot, uh, their supply pilot, found a beach near their tribal region and decided, okay, this is a good middle ground, let's let's reach out to them, have them meet us there, and then we can, like, meet for the first time and start to build relationship. And so that's what they did. And so um, after... Four days, the Alka man, an Alka man and two women appeared. They ended up sharing a meal together. They, they took the, one of the tribal men into, uh, took him up for a flight in the plane the first time. And then they asked them, hey, next time that you come back, obviously in their language, bring back more of your tribe. We would love to meet them. And so they waited for two more days. And finally on the day six, um, two Alka women walked out of the jungle, and then Jim Elliott, which is Elizabeth Elliott's husband, and Pete, another missionary, they excitedly jumped in the river, they waded over to them, but as they got closer, they realized something's not right. And before they know it, they hear some of the other missionaries ter- with a terrifying scream, and they realize they're actually being attacked by the tribe. And within seconds, the Alka warriors through Spears, killing all of the male missionaries, Ed McCulley, Roger Udarian, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, and Jim Elliott himself, because they made an oath not to kill any of the tribe members in defense, even though they had weapons. They decided, you know what? This, no, we're not going to. So 
the women were waiting on the other side of a two-way radio that they had, but it was radio silent. And I think at some point they realized something had gone wrong and came to understand that there was an awful, awful attack and lost their husbands. So I know this seems like a very heavy story to share when you open a message, and that's not the point. But the point is, is to, to say that when, at least for me, and I'm not sure about you, when I lose a loved one or someone I care about, for me, that's the in-between space that is most difficult for me to Uh, I guess, reconcile with God and his purposes. I find that most tempting to question God or walk away from God or even be angry with him. Um, And, you know, I wanted to share this story because it doesn't end there. What blows my mind about Elizabeth Elliot and Jim Elliot's story and these missionaries and the tribe is how we see God in this and then how they decided to respond to God in their in-between space because here they are left with just so much loss and so much grief. Um, after her husband's death, Elizabeth and her daughter Valerie, along with Rachel Saint, who was the sister of the, the pilot, um, they decided to stay, even though they had their family saying, you guys need to get out of there, come, stay with us, we'll take care of you, we'll help you with the children. And they said, no, we're here we had a call. We're going to stick to our call. So they stayed. They lived among the Kichwa tribe. And I think we have some video footage that kind of shows them during that time. And with this new knowledge, Elizabeth said, the Aorani was trying to preserve his own way of life because they had, um, they had become friends with neighboring tribesmen that helped them to understand what was going on. And so she said they were trying to preserve his own way of life, his own liberty. He believed the foreigners were a threat to that liberty, so he feels he had every right to kill them. In America, we decorate a man for defending his country. Elizabeth and Rachel and two other widows decided to respond to this tragedy with a deeper commitment to their faith, calling a commitment to Christ. And because of this and the love they showed to the tribe, in spite of this tragedy, many of the tribe members were really surprised, and then they ended up coming to faith in Jesus. And the most peculiar part about this story is the son of the man, Nate, who was the pilot, the son of uh, Nate, his name was Steve Saint. He ended up seeing this as just complete ridiculousness. I know that's not a word, but that's a show. But he just thought this was absurd. How could my aunt and his, and he called Elizabeth Elliot, Aunt Betty, how could they stay among uh, a tribe that, that killed their, their spouses or their brother and, and, and killed his dad? And he actually basically charged them for ruining his life. But they kept saying, no, you don't understand. Like God's doing something through this. Um, God's doing something through our decision to stay and, and lean into it. And so he decided to come see for himself. And he saw this amazing group of people, just so wonderful and loving and transformed by the love of Christ that the very man who ended up killing his father baptized him. So Steve came to Jesus through one of the tribal members who had killed his father, and his name was Minkaye, and uh, he actually passed away in 2020. And he called him Grandfather Minkaye, and actually one of his grandsons was named after him, and they ended up touring the U.S. and Canada, sharing their testimony together. And Minkaye's most frequent speaking theme was this. He said, we lived angry, hating and killing Onoke for no reason until they brought us God's markings. Now those of us who walk God's trail live happily and in peace. Then he would often ask Steve, how long did you have God's marking before you brought them to us? 
Maybe if we had known sooner that the creator did not see it well, that people would, should live angry, hating, and killing for no reason, we could have walked God's trail sooner. There's really no other explanation for this type of transformation, for the closeness of their relationship, except for the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it almost seems unbelievable. Even a reporter that interviewed Steve Saint, he said, you know what? I understand forgiving the man who killed your father. He's like, but loving him? That almost seems morbid. And Steve's response was, what God meant, what, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And Elizabeth Elliot and the affected families, including the tribe, their response to the brokenness, death, and grief in their in-between space was such an unintuitive response. They moved toward God, not away from him. They stayed faithful to his call on their lives. They responded to him by offering their own lives as a living sacrifice, and this was their spiritual act of worship. And I believe this kind of worship is key to not only getting through these broken spaces, but experiencing God's transformative grace. So I want to dive into a couple of scriptures here. Um, and I, I got my bachelor's in elementary education. And so I have to, you know, do my teacher stuff. And we always used to give examples and non-examples when we were teaching any kind of topic because it would help it stick a little bit better. So that's kind of what I want to do here. I want to give some examples and non-examples um, around how we are to respond to God during our in-between space of brokenness, whether it's worry, fear, doubt, loss of a loved one, grief. So we're going to start with Hebrews 3, verse 7 through 13. And it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation, I said. Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So in this passage of, of Hebrews, the author, he's referencing the Israelites who are also known as the wilderness generation, who after being delivered from slavery and led miraculously to the entrance of the promised land, they came to learn of the number and the strength of the inhabitants of that land, which were the Canaanites. This was certainly an in-between space for them because here they had come such a long way on this long journey and they were basically discovering that there was a people group they had to defeat and then they had to trust God that, that they could do it because they were much bigger, much stronger than they were. So of course, at this point, fear and doubt just began to settle in and they were faced with a choice. Give into what they thought was true or celebrate God's and trust God's truth. So I want to revisit one of the definitions that we, that we saw earlier, where it says, worship is celebrating truth as God's truth and not its own. So in this situation, what was God's truth here? Because leading up to this point, God had proven himself trustworthy. He provided for their every physical and spiritual need. He delivered them from the oppressive hands of the Egyptians. He guided them day and night through the wilderness. That was God's truth. But then what was their truth? Their truth was that God had led them there to die. They, they felt that they wouldn't have the power, that they couldn't trust God to give them the power to overtake the Canaanites and actually enter into the land that God had promised them. And then they doubted God's trustworthiness, although he had proven himself trustworthy at, to this point. 
So sadly, instead of moving forward and trusting God, the Israelites, they chose the more dangerous path. And so often in life, we think that when bad things happen, that sometimes the dangerous path is to continue to trust God because we feel like God just kind of did us wrong in some way. And so we think, oh no, there's no way I should trust God. You know, he's, he's, he, how can I trust him if he allowed this bad thing to happen in my life? But this passage talks about sin's deceitfulness. And I think that's what fear does. So when we, we're faced with a challenge, we're faced with something in our life where we're just not sure, we're really uncertain, we're really afraid, and then we, we give power to that fear in our lives instead of putting that fear at the feet of Jesus, that's when we are deceived. And ultimately, the Israelites responded to their in-between space of uncertainty and fear by giving into the deception of their own fear, denying the validity of God's promise and doubting his character. And so what was their result here? They ultimately failed to enter into God's promised rest due to their disobedience and unbelief. And so many times in my life, I've been faced with trials where I'm really tempted to do this and, and turn to these kinds of forms of turning away from God. And, and like for me, you know, some of those trials are, you know, losing, losing a loved one, that's hard. Um, you know, grieving a, a future loss or a dream that you thought you'd have that, you, that was never realized. Um, loss of, of a job or, lo, or just loss of, of, of health. Those are areas where sometimes I'm tempted to just kind of turn to these forms of turning away from God. And, and they look different for everyone. Some forms are, are much stronger, kind of how the Israelites verbally cursed God. Like, you let us here to die and, you know, you're not trustworthy. But sometimes for us, it looks a little different. Sometimes our turning away from God can be like silence or doubt or bitterness. Um, but whether it's a strong or weak form of turning away from God, they both steal God's blessing and promise from us. The sin, it's not God that's taking that from us. It's the sin, the sin, the fear. That's what's stealing our joy. That's what's stealing our blessing. And they both lead us away from God. So, well, how's everyone doing, by the way? Because I know Pastor Terry asks that from time to time. <laughs> and you get a nice little clap? Great. <laughs> so we looked at a non-example um, from the Israelites in the, the wilderness generation of how we are to worship God in an in-between space. But now I want to look at an example. So some of you may be familiar with the scripture in John chapter 12, where Mary is, um, yeah, Jesus is at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they're giving him a dinner in his honor. And uh, during this dinner, Mary does something unusual. She takes this very expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And then she lets her hair down and she wipes his feet with her hair. And then right after she does this, she's responded to. So the first person that responds to her is Judas. And he responds to her act uh, with criticism. So in, in John chapter 12, 5 through 6, he goes... Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in. So when I was doing some research around this, according to Gary M. Burge, in this context, Jesus had returned to Bethany, which is where they were at this dinner, at, as the Passover was approaching. And so this is when all of the um, Israelites uh, would go back to Jerusalem and, and celebrate the Passover together. So the Passover was approaching, and during this time, he knew that he knew what was coming. He knew the mission to the cross was coming. So he knew death was impending in his life. So he was staying with this family, with Lazarus, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. 
And Mary felt the weight of this impending death. And she decides to anoint Jesus with this one, a pound, apparently, of this costly spice called nard. And this gesture was so astonishing because a pound of nard was valued around one to 300 denarii, which amounts to about an entire year's wage. So think about your entire year's salary and what you can buy with that chunk amount. And then think about that's the thing that Mary gave to Jesus. So it was sacrificial. It was um, shocking. And the point I'm trying to make here is that this was a true sacrifice of worship from Mary, since this could have been something she either saved up for or a family heirloom. And then she does something else. She lets her hair down and she wipes Jesus's feet with her hair. And this was a very generous and bold um, act of humble devotion to Jesus. This was an act of extravagant abandon and pure adoration. This was an act of worship in a time of uncertainty and fear. And this wasn't just an in-between space for Mary. It was also an in-between space for all of the disciples and for Jesus too. Um, and so the fact that she even let her hair down invited even more sharp criticism because in that context, that no one would let their hair down in front of anyone except their husbands. And so what do we see as a response to this? Well, we first see that Judas responds to her and he tries to shame her. He says to her, that's such a waste. What a wasted act. And I'm not sure if in your life you've experienced that someone, right, where maybe you've gone through something difficult and you are a believer in Christ and you've decided, you know what, I am going to lean into God in this time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask. I'm going to trust and wait. And someone goes, oh, you know what, what a waste. What a wasted act. Why are you praying to this God who allowed this evil to happen in your life? What a waste. Some of us have that person in our lives, and that's who Judas was to Mary here. But the thing is, is that those people who tell you that, they don't know what the spiritual significance is behind that worship. They don't know what comes next in the story. So what happens next is that Jesus responds to Mary's act of worship. John 12, 7 through 8 says, Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus comes to Mary's defense. And in your unique situation where someone may be shaming you, Jesus is going to come to your defense too. He gave her a respected place as one who knows better even than the apostles. Mary responded to her in-between place of uncertainty and of fear by drawing near to Jesus and offering Jesus a sacrifice of worship and adoration. So in response to these two examples, the non-example and the example, how could our response look different to God in our in-between spaces when, to be frank, we just don't feel like worshiping God? And right now I want to unpack how these scriptures model for us why we are to worship God and how we are to worship God in the in-between spaces. So let's start with why. We're to worship God because he has proven himself trustworthy. God is doing something about the evil and the brokenness that is overtaking our world where no other religion addresses. And in fact, even some religions claim evil and brokenness don't even exist. So at least in my opinion, God, he's, yes, evil exists. And guess what? I'm doing something about it. And we may not understand or see it in our actual context, whether it's, you know, healing that, that uh, illness or, you know, saving that life, 
He's working something on a much bigger picture. And then the thing that we all fear inevitably is death. And Jesus took the sting out of death by what he did for us on the cross and by his resurrection, he gave us hope for eternity. And so that to me proves that I serve a trustworthy God. And point number two is that, yeah, I love clapping. I just want to say that whenever like I kind of hear a clap and I'm sitting in the audience, I'm like, yes, I love being a clap starter. (laughs) So we should worship God, point number two, because when we do, he responds to us. Mary went to Jesus in an act of vulnerability and he responded to her by coming to her defense. And Jesus will come to your defense in the face of criticism. And Jesus is faithful to respond to you in the way that you need. And the third point is that we should worship God because the pain doesn't go away when we don't, but we gain so much more when we do. God doesn't, yeah, yeah, my clap starters. (laughs) God doesn't waste our hurt. It's not meaningless and it's working for us an eternal glory that we just cannot see. So there's this um, quote by John Piper um, that I quite frankly sprint to whenever I'm grieving or going through any kind of suffering. And I'm going to read it to you today. It says, not only is all your affliction momentary and light in comparison to eternity, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature of our fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen when your mom dies or when your kid dies or when you get cancer at 40 or when a car creans into the sidewalk and takes someone out. Don't say it's not meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, do not lose heart, but take these truths day by day, focus on them, preach them to yourself every morning, get alone with God and preach his word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are known and cared for. So what does it look like for you in your context? How could this look like for you? How can you in your in-between space get alone with God and preach his truth over to your life every day until your heart sings with confidence? What gives me hope in this is that this act of worship, it's not meaningless. And the way that Judas said, that is such a waste, it is not because it's producing something that we can't see, a power that we cannot experience in any other way. And I'm not saying that this is us trying to kind of pick ourselves up and put on this happy face. No. This is simply submitting to the Lord and trust. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This worship, when we get on our knees, when, and, and, and Christian can attest to this, when, I, when I'm going through any kind of grief, I think sometimes I make him feel a little uncomfortable <laughs> because I'm blasting my worship music because that's, that's the way for me that I connect best with God. I'm getting in the word and I'm just giving it back to him. 
And I'm saying, God, I trust you in this moment. I trust that you're working out something that I can't see. And so I want to end with a personal story um, uh, that Christian and I both have gone through together. And basically, in September of 2019, Christian and I joyfully found out that I was pregnant. And although it was early on, we were really, really excited to tell our parents, and that was a fun memory. (laughs) Um, But soon thereafter, um, I started getting symptoms that were suggesting that I was, in fact, having a miscarriage. And this being our first pregnancy ever, we were really, really devastated. Um, But we still remained hopeful and... um, you know, thank God, he, he drew us close to one another and he drew us close to him during this time. And shortly after that, um, I had already planned uh, to visit my parents and they live in South Florida, which is partially where I grew up. And during my time there, um, I started experiencing similar symptoms as to what I experienced during the miscarriage. And so my doctor said, you know, go get blood work, go get yourself checked out. So I did. And um, to my surprise, I found out that I was still pregnant. And uh, because the hormone, the pregnancy hormones were not rising at a, at a like healthy level, um, it, it suggested that I had an ectopic pregnancy, which means that uh, the, the baby is outside of the uterus in, in another part of your body. Um, and it's very dangerous for the, you know, the person with, the, the ch- with child. And it's also um, no survival rate for the child because... Uh, it could very easily rupture. So I'm immediately rushed to the emergency room and um, my parents brought me there and, um, you know, they they had just left to go get some food and obviously Christian and I couldn't be together because he was here in New Jersey and couldn't get down in time. And I just remember you know, processing all of this and sitting in this, uh, the emergency room um, at this point by myself and I just didn't know what to do. There was a lot of emotions going through my mind in in addition to grief. But at this point, um, I was angry with God and I was uh, really heartbroken. And I just remember at that moment pulling the bedsheet over my head and... And I basically under those sheets was like my temple space, right? That was my my space with God. And, And I... In, in my younger years, I'd gone through a lot of trauma, and I, know, I knew what it was like to walk away from God during difficult times, and I was like, I'm not doing that right now. And so because of that, I just said, you know, I'm going to lean into God right now. And so I'm underneath that sheet, and I just start weeping, and I'm like, God, I just need you to be near. I need you to be near to me right now. And God met me. God met me in that hospital room underneath that bed sheet. And in fact, I felt like, even though it seems sad and I was by myself, I was so thankful for that time because I felt like I had time to say goodbye to my child. And he also gave me the scripture, Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, where it says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland. And that word river, that was the thing, the the visual that God gave in my heart at that time in my mind was, this is not going to be your desert, Amanda. I am going to give you rivers in the wasteland. I am your living water. Stay near to me. And, oh, thank you. (laughs) 
And in this season of my life, I knew that I had a choice in the same way that Mary had a choice, in the same way that the wilderness generation had a choice. And you see where those two paths go. And I decided, you know, I could be angry with God. I could be bitter, resentful, not talk to him, silent towards him, further distance myself in a time of hell on earth. But I decided to do what didn't feel natural at the time. And I drew near to him and I called on him for help and comfort. And I brought myself to praise him and worship him and thank him for all he's given me and trust him with my future and my children's future. And in the following days, and, and how I dealt with my grief, and, and this is not to discount I, I, grief counseling, therapy, which I did all of those things, but in the following days, when I got into the presence of God, whether it was reading scripture or through worship on my knees in prayer, nothing no amount of any of those things, therapy, grief, counsel, nothing could do what the power of the Holy Spirit did in those times for me. Because in that in-between space for me, I knew I have the hope of eternity. I'm gonna meet my kids one day in heaven because Christian and I had two more pregnancy losses after that, so that journey was not over for me. And... I'm telling you right now, the only hope and the only restoration and transformation that I ever experienced was just forcing myself to get into the presence of God. And he responded and he met me there. And some of you are in a season of your life and I don't know what that is. You know, that could be, you know, a parent that's not doing well. That could be your own health is declining. That could be a loss of a job or loss of a loved one, um, loss of a future or a dream. But I want to encourage you God wants to meet you, and he's working out all of the evil for our good, and we can trust in that. <clears throat> so because of that scripture that God laid on my heart with rivers in the wasteland, we decided to name our first child River. And um, in, when I was in Florida, we, we planted a tree in memory of my grandfather, who I was very, very close to growing up. And we, I carved into the tree um, river. And then our second child, we decided to stick to the theme of river. And I'm Puerto Rican. And so I decided to honor the Taino language, which is the indigenous tribe of Puerto Rico. The, the word for river is ama. And then um, Christian has some German in him, I suppose. So we decided to name our third child Strom, which is German for stream or river. So I want to end with this one final point which is how we worship God in the in-between space. And I wanted to keep this point really brief and really simple because if anything that you hear in today's message, I want you to at least walk away with this one truth. And that truth is how we should worship God is to simply draw near. Move towards God, not away from him. We're gonna deal with pain, evil, and grief in this world, and we're gonna deal, deal with suffering in our own human way, and that's okay. We should grieve, that's okay. But do it at the feet of Jesus. This isn't us trying to be happy-go-lucky Christians or faking an emotive happiness to sell people on the joy we have in Christ, no. This is about being okay with our human emotions or processing our grief in healthy ways and trusting the greater promise that God has for eternity. 
And as I said, this can look different for everyone. Maybe it's you going to get prayed for after service, or maybe it's, you know, taking time and journaling, or maybe it's reading through God's word or through fellowship with other believers. God always does these amazing things. And I ended up having fellowship with other women who had gone on the same journey. And that brought me so much comfort. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus felt grief. Sometimes I forget that. Think about him standing in front of the, the tomb of Lazarus just before he was about to resuscitate him and bring him back to life. Why would he weep before he had a hope standing in front of him? That just goes to show us it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel these human emotions because death, quite frankly, sucks. <laughs> but through the power and resurrection of Jesus Christ, death no longer has a sting or hold on us. And we could, could depend on Jesus to be exactly what we need because he knows what it's like. And so there's this song that Gabby is going to sing that has a little bit of a controversial lyric in it. And it says, even when it hurts like hell, I'll praise you. But I want to clarify that this isn't a curse word, but a description of what those in-between spaces can feel like. Hell is the absence of heaven, the absence of God's presence in our life. And I'm not sure if you're in a season where it does feel like heaven on earth for you. Maybe you're going through a great time right now. But, you know, maybe you're in an in-between space as I stand here and, and share this with you. And I encourage you, in this time, this next song, take the liberty to enter into a safe place with God. This worship auditorium is a safe place for you. Enter into that space with him and take that thing, whatever it is you're holding on to, and bring it to the feet of Jesus and, maybe, and just listen to the words. You, you, you're not in, um, you don't need to participate and sing. It's, Gabby's just going to sing this over us. And just listen to the person of Jesus responding. Friends, we're not exempt from pain and suffering. But my encourage to you, encouragement to you today is that even when it hurts, we can still draw near to God and worship and trust that he will meet us there and transform our lives.